Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. My name is Pete Scazzaro. Great to be with you. Our topic today is the three biggest mistakes we make in developing leaders. The three biggest mistakes we make in developing leaders. Now, this is one of the most important topics for every church, every ministry, every organization, every nonprofit, for-profit, every family. How are we going to raise up leaders? Now, I'm not talking about leaders in the broad sense. I mean, the broad sense of leaders is anybody who has influence on other people, which really is pretty much everyone's a leader. But I'm really referring to raising up leaders in the narrower sense uh, of the definition that I, my favorite definition of leadership, which comes from a guy named Bob Beale. It says, there's a leader is someone who knows what to do next, why it's important, and how to bring the appropriate resources for the need at hand. It's a great definition. A leader knows what to do next, why it's important, and then how to bring the appropriate resources to bear on that problem or on that issue. Now, the church needs leaders. Every ministry needs leaders. But that gift must be nurtured. It must be developed. And the future of any ministry or any church, of course, depends on it. So here's my three. And I was reflecting on what have been my biggest mistakes that I've made over these years. And I have really three. Uh, And I see them not just simply in my own life, but I actually see them around me as well. So the first is this. In developing leaders, we often, one, we minimize the centrality of our being. Uh, We minimize the centrality of of our being, in other words, who we actually are. Uh, That is the core of all leadership development. In other words, now, in a sense, everything we do and all that we are is leadership development. In other words, we think of developing leaders of, okay, here's some content I want to bring them through. Here's a class uh, I want to take them through. Here's all the topics we want to review. And yes, there are things to learn. Everything from vision casting to how do you build a healthy culture to delegation, uh, building teams, preaching, communication, you name it, scripture, theology, think of seminary. I mean, we can go on about all the content needed for leadership, uh, and there's a lot. But more important than that in developing leaders is you, it is your being, your, your person. Uh, that, uh, th- that you can't learn in a class. That, that's, that's not content. That's that's the being, and and we minimize the centrality of that being. Uh, it's a very simple example. I mean, I I can remember uh, having a, a young man in, in an internship uh, at New Life Fellowship many years ago, and in a number of small settings in which I was teaching about leadership. And as he was exiting, he was going to go for a, you know an advanced degree and uh, and move on in his career and. I asked him what was the biggest impact of leadership development in his life and all, all that happened at New Life Fellowship over the uh, five, six years he was with us. And he said, it was the three days I spent at your house when I was in transition. He was a single guy. And I said, what? And I says, it was, it was sitting around the table uh, with you and your kids. And, and I was like, I, I didn't even remember it. Uh, but for him, it was the key time. And he goes, it was just, it was being with you guys. And I've had that experience now over the years repeatedly with people who would say that it was simply being in these informal settings, often in our home. Uh, It's interesting how critical the home has been uh, over the years of people seeing myself and Jerry and our family just living life. And I, if you think of 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul lays out the qualities of an overseer or an elder or a leader, uh, it's all being, 
Uh, it's all qualities of being above reproach, being sober, uh, minded, uh, etc. And and it, Paul is so concerned about the being of the leader. Uh, he doesn't talk at all about the doings or the content, but rather the whole focus is First Timothy three is the being of that elder. Uh, and and when Jesus, you, you know, read the Gospels, and you'll read, for example, in place like Mark five, where it says. When, this, when the woman touched Jesus, he was aware that power went out from him. That when the woman touched the hem of his garment, uh, touched his person, power went out. When people touch us, there, there's a being that's transmitted. Again, we like the saying, we cannot give what we do not possess. We can only give what we do possess. And it's who we are is what we possess. It's, it, it's our being. And the question is, do you want to produce more of you? In other words, do you want to reproduce you? Do we want more of you? Uh, in, in the world, because you will reproduce yourself. That's all you can reproduce. And that, that's why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And uh, this comes out over time. Now, I'm not saying that, okay, well, you're saying I, I don't, I'm not ready. I, my being is not all together. Now, listen, I'm not saying you have nothing to give until you get it all together. And who has it all together? None of us do. Now, I've been training leaders since I was a, a two-year-old Christian. And we give what we have. But we, we, we need to remember that that is the limit as well, that the, the level of depth in which we have gone in our journey with Jesus, with ourselves, with God in life, is what we are able to give to other people. It is not the content. When Jerry and I speak together, which we do quite often, almost every time we speak, the largest impact that we have is not the content of emotionally healthy discipleship uh, from the different books we've written in our experiences. It actually is the way that we relate to each other. Now, we don't even think about it, uh, the way we deal with differences up there, the way we defer to one another. It's just so fascinating that what people notice is our being. And, uh, you know, right now, for example, I'm leading a course, I mean, I'm sorry, Jerry's leading the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course at New Life Fellowship, and I'm her assistant, uh, but I'm also leading a, a, a table, a small group at a table, but she's the leader up front and doing the speaking, et cetera. And, you know, people were like initially like very shocked, like, why, why are you a small group table leader? And they're like stunned by it because they didn't think that... I would be, first of all, at a table. It was too lowly for me and uh, and that Jerry would be leading and I'd be assisting her as she calls me forward or to do something. And honestly, it never entered my mind or Jerry's and didn't phase us. But it's not even a question for us uh, while it's a, a question for so many other people. So here's a question you want to ask yourself as you think about developing leaders. Uh, how in touch with you are you with your shadow? Uh, do you actually know it? Do you know how deeply do you know it? If you think of levels, uh, and do you see the ugliness of it uh, and the force of it? And that's why I know for me, it's always important that I am in some kind of a relationship with a spiritual director, a therapist, mentor. Uh, and that's why 360s are so courageous to be able to face our shadows, to look at our shadows, uh, because again, it's our being, that's what we're transmitting to people and people feel it, get it. We think we hide it. We think that they can't see it. Uh, they do. Uh, and even if they unconsciously are absorbing it, uh, they do. And you've probably seen in other leadership development, 
uh, arenas where people actually not only take up the strength of those who they're following, but actually their shadow as well. And uh, same thing goes with your marriage and singleness. Uh, I guess why Paul says, if you can't manage your own home, how are you going to manage or lead the church of God? Because Paul understands that our marriages or our singleness, the way we deal with those closest relationships is the, is the organism that we're going to reproduce in any organization we lead. And I had a friend who taught at Harvard in the MBA program who said to me that uh, we were talking about marriage and leading out of your marriage. And he said to me that uh, very, very few corporate environments take seriously the marriage of the senior leader and how that is reproduced in the actual corporation. And he, he felt in the Emotionally Church book, which came out in 2003, picked it up and he actually came to New York to see me and we talked all about it. And he felt it was the sliver of insight uh, that is what made actually EHS so unique for him and felt it was a missing piece in all leadership development, non-Christian, secular, you know, corporate church, that that organism of the, of the marriage is an indicator, is a revealer of the health of that organization. And, uh, and so again, if you're, and you're, cause your spouse knows you inside out and it's all coming out there. And if you can't resolve a conflict in the bedroom with your spouse, because you haven't done enough inner work, you can be sure that's going to eventually transmit into your senior executive team or your board. It's going to come out. The same thing if you're single with your closest friends. And then, you know, thirdly, just as you think about your whole, your being, uh, your, your secret history in God, your, your, your loving union with Jesus and, and the depth of that, uh, where you're allowing Jesus into your life, into your, his will and his love deeply into you, where your identity is really formed in him so that uh, you're able to re- resist the temptations all around you as a leader. Uh, again, think of the great temptations of the wilderness, popularity, uh, power, money. That was the great temptations of, of the desert, you know, speed. And it says often in New Testament, I'm studying through the book of Matthew here, that the leaders in Jesus' day were afraid of the people because their main God was popularity. Uh, and how do you get free from such a thing? Well, you get free from that because by actually uh, having a deep, relationship with Jesus. And that that's a secret history. That just takes time. Uh, and that's why we talk a lot about having a rule of life, structuring your whole life around Jesus. And, and then finally, just how you deal with in your being rhythms. How, how deep are your rhythms of Sabbath and work? Uh, hopefully they grow deeper with time. Uh, it's likely the seasons, the tides, the days, the, the, the night and day, that you've just got this deep sense of, 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 of rhythms in your life. And that's why Jesus Think about it. He spent you know, almost 30 years in obscurity, in, in anonymity. It wasn't until he was 30 that I actually emerged and began his public ministry. And that's why investing in yourself is your number one task in, in developing other leaders, whatever it takes for that. So right now I'm, I'm thinking about my summer, about taking a, a seven-plus-day uh, retreat of silence, uh, an Ignatian retreat of meeting with the spiritual director once a day, but actually having a seven-day block of being quiet before God with a spiritual director. Because I feel like God wants to do some deep things in me. And the idea of taking a week for that, not just, you know, I take a day a month and have some chunks of time, but I'm feeling the greater need for a greater closeness to Jesus and separation from the world so I can hear his voice clearly for the next stage. And because I'm concerned about my formation. But we minimize the centrality of our being. Let me close this little section with two quotes that I love. The first is by the poet, W.H. Auden. He said this, to achieve anything today, an artist has to develop a conscious strictness in respect to time. I'll say it again. 
To achieve anything today, an artist has to develop a conscious strictness in respect to time. And so if you want to develop leaders, uh, that's going to require in you a strictness uh, of life so that God can shape you into the man, into the woman that he's calling you to be so you can reproduce that in other people. And I love the Harvard philosopher George Santayana, as he said it slightly differently, that in accomplishing anything, he wrote, in accomplishing anything definite, he wrote, a man renounces everything else. In accomplishing anything definite, a man renounces everything else. And so for us to become all that God calls us to be as leaders, who are actually making leaders uh, for the next generation, who then make leaders, uh, that's going to require a renouncing of some other nice things perhaps in life so that we can become all that God's called us to become, the essence of that. So that's number one. We minimize the centrality of our being. The second is we mistakenly believe in a fast process. We cling to timetables in developing leaders that are just too fast. Developing leaders is really slow. I mean, it takes time. It takes intentionality. Just think of Jesus with the 12. I mean, he spent three years with these 12 disciples. And even at the end towards the cross, the third year, we find James and John fighting in ambition. Their mother comes to Jesus and says, you know, grant that my sons may sit at your right and left hand when you come in your kingdom. And they're fighting over ambition. They want to get ahead of Peter, who's the head of the church. And Jesus has been talking about the cross and suffering, and they're thinking about pomp and power, the craving for honor. They're longing to be impressive. They're contrary to the whole spirit of Jesus. They want to be recognized. And uh, pride, ambition, self-serving, they're up they're obtuse, their they're, they're requests are presumptuous, and Jesus just says no. And then the 10 other disciples are angry, and uh, Jesus is like, well, this is this is a messed up crew. And they just think they've been with Jesus three years, day and night. And, uh, and then Jesus patiently and kindly instructs them and says, you've got to give up the whole idea of being great at all. And he calls them to be a servant. That is an entirely new kind of greatness in his kingdom. It's called servanthood. And again, he just just patiently and slowly mentors them. And so it's it, it, it was not a fast process for the 12 disciples. Uh, it is not going to be fast for us. And I used to think, you know, let's do a 10-month, let's do a 10-month or one-year internship. And I remember early on in our my planting of our church, we had 10 interns for a year. And the thought was, train them. I invested, we invested everything we had in these mm-hmm. folks. We said, at the end of the year, we'll hire some of these folks and they'll be on staff and we'll rapidly expand the church. It was such an illusion. Uh, I believe in internships. I believe in one-year programs and all that. But to think that a year, uh, we weren't living with these folks, was going to be enough was just foolish. I mean, I've done every type of leadership development over my tenure as a leader, whether it's monthly, twice a month, reading books, being with them. Uh, my, My wife and I have run a course at our home. Jerry would lead it. Every two years, uh, just until this past year, we would take about 14 to 16 to 18 people in our basement, and we would and we had like a 100 to 120-hour curriculum that we would take them through. It was our most intensive discipling of people, and we did it for years in our basement. But even then, with 100 to 120 hours, we'd meet for three hours a night every two weeks and one weekend every like two months. Imagine, and we would say at the end of that year, it wasn't enough because mentoring or developing leaders is life on life. And it comes in, in, in outside of those times. Uh, it comes, it, it takes time to, to get to know those times. And, and uh, you know, in a skyscraper, you build a skyscraper and I, it's, an, it's, it's a primary illustration for the Emotionally Healthy Leader book. 
that it just takes time for the weight of life and leadership to fall on people's inner life. And as the pressure grows, the cracks are revealed. That's what happened to Peter, James, and John, or James and John at the, at the end of, of three years with Jesus. As they're getting close to go to the cross, they think there's going to be great glory, and, and, and their ambition and pride comes out. That wasn't maybe coming out a year earlier, but it was there. And what happens is people step in leadership and in greater levels of leadership, cracks reveal themselves. Uh, and the level of their self-awareness, uh, their ability to wait on the Lord. Think of Saul, his inability to wait on the Lord uh, as he became king and powerful. Will people remain faithful? You know, Judas, who quit, will they pass the financial integrity tests and the power tests and the popularity temptations? And can they be under authority as a prerequisite to being in authority? And that's only going to come with time as they're under authority that they can't stand. Anybody can be under authority they love. The question is being in, under authority with people you can't stand. I like what Bobby Clinton wrote, that great Fuller professor on all his leadership work uh, in his book, The Making of a Leader, that the first 10 to 15 years of our leadership is really not what God's doing through us. It's what God's doing inside of us. Now, again, I'm not saying don't do internships, don't do programs, don't do teachings. No, we need that. But always remember, it's really slow and it's life on life. And it's along the way in life that these things are applied. We mistakenly believe that it's a fast process and we cling to timetables that are fast. We push people forward too quickly and you know the rest. One of my mentors, Leighton Ford, has been a mentor of me as a young leader for thir- now for 35 years. Now, I'm not a young leader, but imagine he believes that you, dis- you disciple a leader for life. Now, he's in his mid-80s. Uh, he still considers himself a leader developing me as a leader. And I love that because just remember when you're together with someone who's Deve- you're developing someone as a leader. It's how you talk about everything from politics to race to problem people to dilemmas, decisions, the kind of car you drive. I mean, it's it's everything is developing uh, leadership, and and it just takes time, and it's really slow. Okay, here's the third. So so the first one is um, we we underestimate the power of our own person or, or, or the essence of our being. Secondly, is we mistakenly believe it's a fast process. But the third is this, we neglect the core, the core discipleship of our future leaders. We neglect the core discipleship of the people that we're trying to train to be future leaders. For many years, I didn't do that. I, I looked for natural leaders. I invested in them. I, and I taught them all kinds of leadership skills, but I didn't take the time in their discipleship. And it always came out later and it was always a problem. When, when, the, when the, um, the Emotionally Healthy Church book came out and the Emotionally Healthy Leader book came out, uh, I found myself talking a lot to pastors and leaders around the world. And especially when the Emotionally Healthy Leader book came out a couple of years ago, it was amazing all the uh, environments I was in that people wanted to talk about planning and decision-making, culture and team building, power and wise boundaries, endings and new beginnings, which is the second half of the book. But I found over and over and over again, that people wanted to do the acts of leadership without the interior life of leadership. In other words, leadership is an application of our discipleship on a deep level. We're talking about profound self-awareness of myself before God, a deep life of loving union with Jesus, silence and solitude, a marriage or singleness that's a sign and wonder, a Sabbath lifestyle of rhythms that is a taste of the eternal Sabbath that is to come. In other words, leadership development comes out of serious discipleship. That's why in Emotionally Healthy uh, Spirituality, we've moved 
to emotionally healthy discipleship because we want to change the church so the church can change the world. But we realize we're not going to have leaders that are profoundly transformed unless they are coming out of a discipleship that's profound and transformative. And so we've moved the entire ministry to two courses uh, to, to, to embed into churches so there can be a discipleship that deeply changes people's lives. And then what leadership development is, is you're applying that discipleship into life in a deeper way. Uh, so, for example, if you look at the topics of, let's just take the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, and you'll see topics such as, you know, the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And it looks at our, the way we balance off being with God and our doing for God, our, 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 our circle of activity versus or with our circle of a life with God that's sustainable. But that's not just I do it once. I live my life under great pressure where I'm able to set limits and make sure I'm having enough time with Jesus to sustain my doing for Jesus. Same thing with know yourself that you may know God. I mean, that's the second session of the discipleship, of the spirituality course of that, that growing self-awareness that I'm always growing in self-awareness and being who God's called me to be, not trying to copy somebody else's life and having the courage to live my life out of the knowledge of God. And so even myself, I'm, I'm still deepening that as a leader in my life, even though I'd consider that a foundational discipleship for a person who's been a Christian, you know, three months uh, or going back to go forward. We're always going back to go forward. But when we talk about a leader, that person's got to bring that into their lives at a very profound level. Another theme, for example, in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality courses is enlarge your soul through grief and loss. There are levels of lament. Okay, the Bible's got, you know, a whole lot to say about lament. I would consider, we would consider this these core discipleship issues. But if you're in leadership, your ability to be present with loss and sadness, waiting on God in that, and then letting God birth something new in it, that, friends, for a leader uh, is essential uh, and critical to be a compassionate, loving leader. I mean, I think of something even as simple as, you know, one of the skills in the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course is incarnational listening. It's a great skill to get people started. But I, the essence of leadership is to be an expert at presence, that we are expert, not just listeners and speakers, but we're, we're so present with people, just like Jesus was present with people. And, uh, and so, again, if you look at the topics of the courses, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course and the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course, uh, you're going to notice that they actually are a leadership curriculum. And so we're actually, we've actually moved to where the training of, of table leaders in these courses is actually a development course. But I have this paradigm in my head of discipleship that I see myself with leaders along the way of life, taking them into it deeply. So it's so much a part of who they are, they can actually pass it on without even knowing it to those who they follow. So I want to develop leaders who develop leaders. That's what we're looking for. And uh, so that's that's a tough process. You may be familiar with a, a fellow named Benjamin Bloom. He's an expert in educational theory, been around for you know, 50, 60 years. And he talks about how there's levels of learning something, awareness, pondering, valuing it are the first three levels. Then he talks about jumping over the big gap of really like re-changing re our whole lives around something we learn, and then we actually own it. And the reason that's important is because we talk about learning something. So we're bringing into, into churches what I would consider a, a, a serious discipleship that deeply changes lives in the spirituality course and the relationships course. But for a leader, they need not just be able to like go through that course. They need to actually live it 
deeply so they can pass it on to somebody else and uh, be experts at it. So it's not just reason they can resolve conflict. They've got to become experts at asking forgiveness, clean fighting, hearing critique, humility. The religious leaders didn't get it, for example, that loving God and loving people go hand in hand. And Jesus kept saying, go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means. And, and so we recognize our discipleship has got to cover not just loving God, but actually teaching people and breaking down how to love people. So if you're not familiar with the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship courses, uh, I want to encourage you, get to our website, buy the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship kit, uh, which has both courses in it. Review it. Uh, come to one of our live stream trainings. And actually, we have a summit, a discipleship summit for pastors and leaders on emotionally healthy spirituality. It's called the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Summit, April 25 and 26. It is a deep dive in this material uh, for your leadership so you can disciple other people. And it will go deeper into the EH discipleship material. You'll master the implementation of the courses and, uh, you know, how to train leaders, how, the essentials of each session. But if you're interested in learning more, you know, go to our website, look at the prerequisites. There is work you have to do before you come in the conference. It's not just for anybody. It's for folks who are know the content, have gone through a preliminary live stream training with us, and then are committed to bringing this to their church. So uh, you may want to consider that, and I encourage you to do it. So let me summarize this. The three biggest mistakes, at least that I've made in developing leaders over the years, <clears throat> one is... I minimized the centrality of my being. And very often we minimize the centrality of our person and we don't spend the necessary time investing in ourselves. <clears throat> Number two, we mistakenly believe this is a fast process and we cling to the illusion of a timetable that's too fast. No, friends, it is slow. It was slow for Jesus. It's going to be slow for us. And thirdly, we neglect the core discipleship of these future leaders. Uh, we're always doing discipleship, but with someone we're trained to be a leader, we want this in them very deeply so they in turn can pass it on to others naturally. It comes out of their life. Let me close with one comment. Remember, always remember Judas. He was so close to Jesus, three years, day and night. He, he was trained by Jesus to be a leader. He had the best leadership development. He quit. He quit, he betrayed Jesus. Talk about a wasted opportunity. And I want to close with this because I want you to remember that every one of you who invests in developing leaders will be betrayed someday. Uh, a student is not above their teacher, nor a servant above their master. It happened to Jesus. It's going to happen to you. I don't know any leader who's been involved in developing leaders over a long period of time who has not experienced a deep, painful betrayal. And usually not just one, but multiple why? Because God wants you to know him. It is one of the pathways of knowing Jesus. We learn things about Jesus and the cross and the love of God and the Christian life and humanity. There's so much that we learn in that. I don't wish it on anybody, but it's part of being a follower of Jesus. It's actually a gift to know Christ and that level of suffering. So God bless you. I pray the Lord would guide you and lead you and bless you that you might be a developer of leaders who develops leaders. God bless you and have a wonderful day. Thank you.